This episode is sponsored by a donor to the Los Angeles County Fire Department Foundation. The L.A. County Fire Department Foundation is focused on supporting L.A. County firefighters and programs. It was established in 2015 and has grown considerably over the last five years. Donations have supported critical equipment purchases, life-saving wildfire education programs, diversity conferences, and many other regional fire-related needs. Visit supportlacountyfire.org. On this episode, we have Pete Finnerty. Pete followed in his father's footsteps and became a firefighter. He made the very difficult decision to turn down a promotion to battalion chief until about three years later, a move which he credits with enhancing his approach to life both personally and professionally. He recently received a Medal of Valor, the highest honor bestowed on a member of the fire service for his heroics during the 2018 Woolsey fire that ravaged most of Malibu. Pete, thank you so much for being on our show. Oh, thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. I appreciate the invite. No, it's really great to have you here. And as I was doing research for this uh, interview, what really dawned on me is um, I just want to be sure that I kick off by expressing my deep gratitude um, as a Los Angeles County resident. All that you do to keep us safe and in this proverbial warm blanket of comfort, knowing that you're there um, means so much. And, and I really hope my fellow citizens um, voice that to you regularly. Uh, I appreciate that, first of all. And I will tell you that um, people are super gracious to us. They are very gracious. I think maybe too much at times. <laughs> um, I, I appreciate it, but I realize that at uh, and, and I'm sure this will come out later on. I am fortunate to have found this career. So I feel like I get back a lot more potentially than I'm given. Wow, that is such a strong statement. Um, it speaks volumes for how you are as a, as a person. Now, you grew up with firefighting in your background. I understand your father was with the Englewood Fire Department. And so you'd follow him to work. Were you born in Southern California as well? I was. I was. Um, my folks are both from the Midwest and then my mom from uh, the East Coast. Eventually, the grandparents decided to come out here when my parents were really young, um, but basically post-war, and uh, like a lot of people. And um, my, my folks grew up in Westchester, actually very near each other. So, And then as, as they got older... Um, well, very young, actually, like their generation, you know, married early. But my grandparents on my mother's side migrated to Orange County. And then my father, um, my mom and dad had known each other in high school. And so when that relationship blossomed, I guess is the word, <laughs> they uh, ended up eventually marrying and then both settling here in Orange County when it was, you know, 1970, 60, like the late 60s. And then I was born in 70, so everything was open space and brand new and that whole thing. So, but yeah, they both were from the Westchester, kind of South Bay, Hawthorne, Inglewood area. So, Nice. Fantastic. Um, Pete, do you have siblings? I don't. I am an only child. Mm. And I always cautiously say that, right? Because <laughs> everybody, everybody makes the face. It, it's really funny. Um, I will answer that because it's always been a subject. I was... I yearned to have a brother or a sister or more than one, actually. Okay. Okay. I was the only child that disliked being an only child. 
Well. So I will say that because there's some bad connotations with only children, I have been told as a compliment that I don't act like an only child, whatever that <laughs> means. So to those only children out there, I am one of you, but I don't mean to offend. So. <laughs> well, and uh, you compensated for it by having three children yourself. Yes. Yeah, yeah which is strange. It's 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 kind of funny to to I, I think about that from time to time. Like, wow, that's weird. The way life just works, right? I yeah. I um I was an only. My wife and I have three children. And sidebar, it's kind of funny. My my father is one of six boys, so big family. Oh wow, yeah. My mother, one of four. Okay. Um, so so on her side, it's three boys and her, and then my father is the second of six. <laughs> only only two of the six boys, my father and my uncle Terry, had children. Oh wow. My uncle Terry had three, two girls and a boy. I'm getting really crazy now with the math. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm the only one who had boys. And not that in this day and age that matters. No, but I know what you mean. Carrying the finity name. Yeah. I really think my grandfather, who on that side, who had a relationship with, who was a very interesting man, veteran, um, he would have gotten a kick out of the fact that at the end of everything, um, that happened. So. (laughs) Yeah. 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 yeah, you were very close to your grandfather. Um, uh, is he? He's is he still with you? No. So my 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 father's side. I was very close with all my grandparents. I was fortunate. Um, my uh, my dad's parents. They were deceased when I was younger. I would say you know like in my middle teens. Okay. As was my my um, my maternal grandmother, but I had my paternal grandfather until he was hundred and one. And I was uh, third in my 30s, in my, my early 30s, married with actually two children. So actually, I was about 34. He was of sound mind almost until the very end. And I will say that one of the things I cherish is that I got to get to an age where I appreciated that fact. Yeah. And I wish I could have a conversation, even if it was for a day with my other grandparents, because my mindset obviously with maturity is very different. Sure, know? sure, so, of course. But I was fortunate. I was still fortunate. That's good Irish lineage, my God. Right. Well, and I and I gotta I gotta so my mom doesn't ever hear this and get mad at me. I will say that there's Greek on her side. Okay. So <laughs> actually, yeah, right. Um so I got and it and it's it's pretty much straight and straight. It's all Irish, all Greek. Or wow. at least that's what we're told. I haven't done my I haven't done my uh, you know, test yet, but um, so I got to give it, I got to give that Greek, but I, I, I hope I have, I'm fortunate to have that long lasting robustness that my grandfather had. So. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I wish for that as well. Um, growing up, your father's a firefighter. You're probably hanging out at the station. Yeah. Did you ever consider another career or was it, this is what I'm going to do? So I will say that from a really young age, and I can't put my finger on it, but but I have some very young pictures of the firehouse. Um, and uh, I always wanted to be a firefighter. And there's a whole bunch of stuff I could speak to that with, with people who knew me from, from elementary school, middle or elementary school that I'll run into later in life that go, man, you always said that, you know, you always said that. 
But there were two areas, I will say there were two times in my life, and you know, they're kind of along the same track, that something looked really cool. And that was when Top Gun came out. <laughs> Top Gun looked really cool, right? Yeah. Uh, and I will say that my grandfather, my dad's father was a Navy fighter pilot in World War II very, uh, mm-hmm. in the Pacific. Very, very active, actually. I have a lot of, I was fortunate to inherit from family members a lot of records of what he did. It sounded great. I've always had a preoccupation with the military, although I never served. Um, very interested in books. I like to read a lot about military history. Father was in the Marine Corps. It's actually something that if somebody said to me, hey, do you have a regret in life? I would say that I regret not going against some of his advice, strangely enough, and actually serving in the military. I don't know what it is. It just seems like something that is missing or, or I missed out on doing that. Wow. Wow. I can't really explain it. Yeah. No, that's so interesting. I mean, clearly you've devoted your life to, to service as did your um, lineage from your grandfather down, serving people, serving the country, fighting for something bigger than yourself. And that's uh, extremely impressive. Um, Were any of your uncles firefighters? No, my father and I are the only two family members that have ever served in the fire department. So when you started um, your career, Pete, you were at Hawthorne. Um, yeah, it, which is kind of funny. So I started out with the Hawthorne Fire Department, which actually is just south of Inglewood. Right. And go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, uh, interestingly, both Inglewood and Hawthorne got absorbed into the Los Angeles County right. Fire Department, which is where you now serve. And um, Josh wanted me to uh, <laughs> needle you Uh-oh. a little bit and say, you came in through the back door. Absolutely. So, so it's super funny because actually one of my first jobs for the county of Los Angeles was as a, what is now known as fire suppression aid, which we have fire camps um, throughout the county in Malibu, in uh, Santa Clarita, in uh, La Cañada. And it's basically real manual labor, but it's, it's a strange concept or it's a strange experience because you're a, you're a 19 or 20 year old like I was. And you get to fly into fires on helicopters half the time, which is a really wow. great experience. Yeah. Um, so I was with the County of Los Angeles as a, as a fire suppression aide and then left there um, and got hired by the Hawthorne Fire Department. And then five years later, ended up in LA County, which is collectively, historically, culturally known as coming in through the back door. And there's a <laughs> whole host of departments going all the way back to probably, I want to say probably the fifties or I know Lakewood was the first city that came into the county, okay. but yeah, you're always uh, you're always looked at with a little uh, a little eye of suspicion because they're not sure about <laughs> you, right? And then it was funny because my dad, although he was retired, his department uh, a few years later, uh, we came in in '97, and then uh, I want to say Inglewood came in in 2000. So wow, okay, got you. So um, just doing that quick math, you've served 30 years as a firefighter yeah so i'm working on i'm working on my, my hire date is uh february 3rd 1992. okay so i'm working on my 20th year of being yeah. in fire service yeah as a, as a full-time firefighter yes. it's really extraordinary um and you also spent some time as a as a paramedic or do, is that how you started 
Let's talk about that. No, so I actually was um, with Hawthorne. I was a firefighter. And the reason we transitioned to the county was because of budget. Yep. Um, you know, that's, that was the catalyst. And then there was, you know, there's, issue, there's certainly a whole host of issues of why that regionalization is better for the, the, uh, the city. But um, that was the initial reason. And so I was going to be a paramedic with Hawthorne, but money became an issue. So I was a firefighter. And then when I got to the county, um, again, thank you, LA County. I got to go to paramedic school and also work as a paramedic. So. Got you. Um, which side appeals to you more, Pete? I'm like a lot of people. I really like the firefighting aspect. I mean, it was the first reason why everything seems so neat or cool or whatever word you want to use. Now I have to say that I went to paramedic school because paramedics get to be more involved. So not being supervisors necessarily, but being paramedics, you get a larger hand in dictating or being part of how the calls for service unfold. Okay. And I wanted to do that. Um, there are some really, really exceptional experiences you get as a paramedic. And it makes you understand a lot of aspects for the job that's going to benefit you as you move through the ranks, if that's your choice. In what year was your eldest child born? Um, Our son, Jake, was born in uh, 2005. 2005. So um, as you're working as a firefighter, having Jake, did that change your view of the world, change your view of what you're doing? I think the one thing that changes you is I remember being on the job and seeing fathers react to particular calls for service in a manner um, more than I did. They felt it more than I did. It bothered, I don't want to say bothered them, but, but it did. Yeah, there was a different it reaction. resonated. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, not to take away anything from anybody, but I don't know that you feel it like that until you're sitting there maybe and you picture you having to experience something like that, or you're, empathizing with somebody who's a parent. So yeah, I don't know anybody that wouldn't be changed by uh, becoming a parent in all aspects of life, but then again, in this particular aspect, for sure. Yeah, no, it's amazing. So uh, Jake is uh, 15 now. Has he said anything to you about wanting to be a firefighter? No, you know, strangely enough. So the birth order in my family is uh, 14-year-old son, 12-year-old daughter, seven-year-old son. Okay. The daughter is the only one who's ever uh, made proclamations. I'll, and she's, she's an athlete. She's really I good at it. I think it's starting to change a little bit for her too. Okay. But no, they're not really interested. I, I will say they haven't had the contact with the fire department like I did growing up. Okay. Um, and I'm okay with it actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm okay with it either way. I was very fortunate that my father, not that he didn't take me seriously, but he never, ever pushed me in a direction. Um, he did help me once he realized I was serious. Okay. He did help me. And help me by, I mean, that he encouraged me. He gave me some, you know, uh, hey, you might want to try doing this, and I'll support you in this manner as long as you're on this path. So, nice. yeah. That's great. That's really great. Um, in 2014, you were honored by the uh, Boys and Girls Club of Rio Hondo. 
Look at you. <laughs> firefighter of the year. Wow. That was in the city of commerce. Um, uh, was there, um, what was the incident uh, that you felt led to that? You know, I, I don't want to give up the secret here, but I will tell you that there's a lot of, um, with those honors, there is a lot of, uh, and this is where, again, we, we just get this, I'm going to call it graciousness from, from the everyday individual citizen to these civic groups. And they look to, they look to the fire service and, and, and law enforcement again to, uh, and, and, you know, even, even some of the local hospitals and things to honor some people that serve the community. And it, it, it is kind of an annual thing for different areas of the county. I believe that um, I had been involved in some programs locally at that time that the, the people in the fire service chain of command said, hey, this is a person that we know of that has done some of these things. Well, um, something that I would not have been able to Google, but in that same year, you were promoted to battalion chief. After a few months, you voluntarily took a demotion back to captain. And Josh gave me some context, of course, about the transition and what that means and how a sense of camaraderie um, is a bit lost. Um, you, you lose your first name when you become battalion chief. Absolutely. And you start having a lot of meals on your own. Yes. But I'm sure that played a part of it, but from your perspective, what went into that decision? So, so just to be accurate, it was 2016 when I got promoted to, um, okay. Gotcha. Battalion chief. Yep. And I did, I did about three months and it, everything that you said is accurate. Um, I have to say that in a, there was a number of things that went on. I didn't enjoy that job. I didn't enjoy the isolation that I felt at the time. Um, and I think part of it is I jumped on the bandwagon to take that exam because friends of mine who had a little bit more time in the seat, I'll say, were doing it. Okay. And very late in the game, I said, you know what, I'll do it. And I was successful, but I would say I was successful with some context, which is I had some people that I think I did good work for who were willing to um, put my name out there because they're, that is part of it, right? Like, hey, does this person deserve it? And unfortunately, I, I characterize it as I disappointed them ultimately. They, they don't say that to me, but which I appreciate. But um, I did not like that job. And it, and, and it became apparent really quickly. Yeah. And I really missed that riding on the fire engine, um, riding on the fire truck, going on. Because when you're a battalion chief, you're on the exterior doing a lot of command and strategy, working with the other folks, yeah. uh, not hands-on. And so I made that decision and that decision has been made by other people in our organization before I got, I, I, I'll tell you what more than anything the experience did for me is first of all, when I wasn't getting promoted, you know, there's a lot of competition there, right? And, and people get promoted for a lot of different reasons. I got bitter. Wow. And um, that played into my work attitude it played into my attitude at home yeah. you know at the time i have real young kids i've told my wife this is something i want now i'm now i'm backing away from it and 
as you can imagine in the fire service, it's a, there's not all type A people, but there's a very type A, you show a little weakness or maybe the inability to handle something and you are, you can be chopped liver, so to speak. So what doesn't disappoint me is a couple things. And that is that I was making some errors when I was not reaching out to my friends and getting context on that job. Had I reached out to some of my friends in the fire service and it was because I was embarrassed to admit that I didn't like it um, or that I was failing at it potentially. Um, I started drinking more at home on my off days. So, cause I didn't know what to do with all of it. And uh, I, then I made that decision almost in a snap manner, even though it was three months without any context on a lot of things. And I'm disappointed in it, but I will tell you that the growth out of that and what I realized in my life, I talked to my kids about this. There doesn't seem like there's any growth without, um, without things being difficult. When things are easy, you almost don't grow because it's just easy. That knocked me on my fanny because I had to walk into some rooms after that and have everybody look at me and say, Hey, that's the guy, right? For whatever reason. And and people think they know they they come up with their own reason. Sure. But it led to an incredible amount of opportunity that I never thought would happen. And um, I lost those three years in the rank, but I realized that I would not be the person with the context I have on that job right now, had that not happened to me. No, uh, Pete, that makes complete and total sense. And I really admire and honor um, the choices you made and um, the acceptance of that struggle being important. I mean, this is very much what this podcast is about. It's about facing adversity, overcoming obstacles. And so, um, and and, and in many ways, um, when we go through that, we appreciate what we've achieved and we appreciate life so much more. And you've just described that perfectly. Yeah, it, def- it definitely gave me a, you know, what I, I'll tell you what I learned is, I don't do this all the time now, but I try, is when I have a problem, I try, and I, I get there eventually, but maybe not right away, to stop and say, to look at myself and say, what are you doing to contribute yeah. to this problem? <laughs> no, absolutely, no, I completely agree with you. Um, and, and, and Josh has shared that, um, you sat next to him when you both were going through your battalion chief exam and, uh, right next to each other. Yes. <laughs> and you scored, uh, the highest of the, well, I, yeah. So, so they put you in categories depending on what your score comes out of. And, uh, I, I ended up, I did end up doing better better the second time around. That's really fantastic. And, uh, and since then, um, you've played a more significant role in teaching. And you've been a part of the, the training exercises. And um, there was one incident where um, you trained an engineer who had to act as captain. Oh, wow. And <laughs> he told uh, everybody that it was only because of the training you gave him that he was able to do that. Share with us about that story. So, so when I actually uh, went back to being a captain and then subsequently went back into the operations field, I was there for about six months. I got an opportunity to be involved again in training where Josh was working at the time. Ended up a state fire instructor months ago. We had one of our friends that had um, worked with us and he, he happened to be working as an acting captain. So he's an engineer driver and he's working as an acting captain. 
and he has this fire that would challenge a veteran fire captain. And it was the first time he'd ever done that at run a fire. And he did a very, very good job. And um, he came back to us and paid a lot of us. It's not just me. He paid us a very nice compliment by saying that it was what we had discussed in those courses that gave him some of what he used that day. No, that's really great. Um, it, it's a true testament to the value you're adding. I, I appreciate that. Pete, I'd like to talk about the Woolsey fire. Well, if you pulled the uh, 2014 Commerce Firefighter of the Year out, I figured that I, I, <laughs> you might find something from when I was in seventh grade at this point. So. <laughs> of course, there's a, a great video done on it, shot by our mutual friend, Josh. Right. Binder. And, and just to set the context here for our listeners, um, this was a fire that ignited November 8th, 2018. Um, it burned almost 100,000 acres of land, uh, destroyed over 1,600 structures, including homes. Um, and uh, we lost the lives of three people. And Truthfully, that number, uh, that loss number might have been higher had it not been for your heroics that day. And so from there, take it over, Pete, and share with us what happened. Well, let me just say that there are a lot of people that contributed to early evacuation calls. At the time, I was uh, serving as a captain in the organization assigned to training in the role of safety officer. So I had an administrative job, my partner that day, um, that I happened to be riding with, because normally we don't, which actually, sidebar, is only because my vehicle was in for maintenance, where, where we paired up in the vehicle we were. And this is a, a friend of ours, Chris Syok, who's a captain, and actually promoted with us as well. You know, we had been out there when that fire started. We were over in Oak Park the night before doing what we could. And then uh, in the early morning hours of the 9th, um, we would have uh, been almost at the coast with the way that fire moved. And it was just one of those things. All of us were operating in, in that Zuma area of Malibu. Uh, so doing evacuations and then providing requests for resources to get up in there and protect homes. We just heard a call go out over the radio for um, a person who says that they're trapped in their home in, a, in, in the, that Zuma area up above, like right below Zuma Ridge. Right. And um, they, they're trapped. Their house is on fire. They're trapped. They can't get out. And they can just see fire around them. That was the description. Chris and I in the vehicle, because we'd been driving around there, we recognized the street name and said, oh, we're very near that location. We'll go check on it. And ultimately, a lot of people had been notified of this, dispatched to it. But because of the infrastructure at the time, the fire engines just couldn't get up to that area. Right. Um, all the wires were down at that point, And that area was being heavily impacted. So it took us about an hour to find a route. Um, we ended up getting to a point where we couldn't see anything. It was pitch black out the windows. And we just kind of made that decision. Uh, and, and it was the third phone call that we that was relayed to us where, where the person hung the phone up and said, I can't stay in my house anymore. I'm, you know, um, I got to leave. We have to find a way to get up there. We actually have a, a, a program on our phones that uh, when you don't have necessarily internet connection, it still works. And so we were able to look down at my phone because I was sitting um, in the passenger seat and this is where being together helped. He was driving and I would, I would wait until this blue dot lined up with the road where we thought we were. And then I would say, okay, I think we're at the road, go ahead and turn. 
And sure enough, we got up there and, and, and pulled up and we found the address and, and it was, we found the lady that was there um, outside of her home, home on fire. Um, well, it, it, you were following the blue dot because you couldn't see the roadways and there was, I mean, there, there, so, so much of it was blocked, right? Yeah, and because we're sitting and we're looking at a wire strung across the ground, well, he punches the accelerator as if that would help driving over it faster, right? And we take one of the main high voltage lines, bounces right off the front windshield. Mm -hmm. And it was that moment where you're like, wow, this is probably a really bad idea. <laughs> oh, wow. So, but you just kind of look at each other, you know, you've made that commitment at that point. And, you know, ultimately we found this lady and, and, and you saw the video. I will say that, I, I will say this, I don't know what that looks like when you think you're gonna, maybe that is the last day you're gonna have on earth. But when I came around the corner and we found her uh, and I saw that look that she realized that somebody was there to help her. Now, now all we need to do is be successful in getting out of there. Sure. No, of course. Well, and um, you were searching for this house and suddenly somehow the smoke cleared a little bit. So you're able to see the number. Yeah, that was a funny thing. So we're driving up this street and we come around the bend and we're following the blue dot. We, you know, we're getting close. And all of a sudden I, I, I yelled out because we the blue dot lined up. I said, hey, stop. I think we're here. And, and um, literally it was created, or honestly, the smoke cleared and here's this big, she has one of those big metal mailboxes up there and here's the address. And then you left the truck. Chris said he was going to turn it around so you could yep. fall down the mountain. You're shouting out to Cheryl, who was the, the name of the woman. Correct. Um, she's just in this little like uh, area in front of her home with a garden hose. As you saw, she had the sensation that this would have been it for her. Yeah, and, and you know, I've talked to her numerous times, um, kept in contact with her. She's told me numerous times that she left that house thinking this is this was gonna be her end. And luckily for me, Chris was had the presence of mind to get out after I radioed that I made contact. He ran back there because we had to pick her up and you know negotiate the wires in the tree. Well, uh, it sounded like there were a lot of things that could have gone badly that would have been fatal, not just for the woman you were rescuing, but for all three of you. Yeah, it, it definitely, you know, as we as we came down off the mountain, things had started getting better. No, it's, it's really extraordinary. And um, the department honored you with a Medal of Valor, you and Chris both. Yep. Uh, is uh, obviously exceptionally well-deserved and um, I'm, I'm glad you got the recognition. Thanks. That was great. I, I will say that that's, uh, it's a strange experience. It was nice to have my family there and in a way for my kids to see when I'm gone from home for periods of time, hey, this is a little bit of what your dad gets to do. Pete, in thinking back at your um, uh, very accomplished career, um, is it the Woolsey Fire that stands out the most for you? I mean, certainly from our perspective as the citizens of LA, that stands out for us. But maybe there's another highlight or, or, or high point for you. I have so much satisfaction. I mean, I can point to the satisfaction. Pete, this has been an extraordinary conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, that's amazing. Well, uh, we appreciate it extraordinarily as well. I mean, the things we do, the things we take for granted in life, um, it's really because of the peace of mind that uh, your presence gives us. We know well, that. I appreciate that. Again, I really appreciate that. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.